Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Rocks Life Podcast. I'm Greg and today I'm chatting with the brilliant Ben Bergeron. Ben is one of the most successful CrossFit coaches of all time. Amongst other achievements, he has helped coach both Katrin Davisdotter and Matt Fraser to CrossFit Games titles. He is the man behind fitness app CompTrain and is the author of a fantastic book titled Chasing Excellence. Ben is clearly an incredibly knowledgeable coach. He's always good to listen to and in particular has a huge focus on the mindset side of sport and life. And it's that which we focus on today as we discuss the areas that he feels are vital in helping to create true sporting greats. It's a brilliant chat. I've wanted to speak with Ben for a long, long time and he didn't disappoint. I personally think it's a timeless episode that you'll want to listen to again and again and will always be able to take something away from it. Before we get into that, just a quick reminder that for all the latest Hyrox news and training tips, check out our website at rockslife.com. I've put up a write-up of the recent Hyrox Manchester event on there, and you can also find out more about our personalised coaching plans and our 12-week training plans to help you get ready for your next race. Also worth checking out are the brilliant Built for Athletes who make the best fitness backpacks on the market, bar none. They're very high quality, can store so much and are perfect for taking to the gym, to events, going away traveling, pretty much any situation. My pro backpack and my pro wash bag were perfect in Manchester this past weekend. We'll also have Rocks Life patches available very soon for the bags, which are going to look amazing. And what's more, if you use code ROCKS15, they'll very kindly give you 15% off your order, which you can place at builtforathletes.com. Finally, also a shout out to X Endurance, whose range of supplements are perfect for someone preparing for high rocks. Things like their Career Pure Creatine, their Fuel 5 car product, their lactic acid buffer, and their great tasting electrolytes are some of the best of their type on the market and something I, as a nutritionist, am commonly recommending to people if they're training for high rocks. So go and check them out at xendurance.eu, and if you use code ROCKSLIFE at checkout, they'll give you 20% off your order. Okay, it's time. Let's get into the show. Really hope you enjoyed this fantastic chat with the brilliant Ben Bergeron. All right, we're live. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Greg. Um, I thought we might start. You've done you've done a huge amount in, in your career, in your coaching career and as an athlete. Um, if I asked you what your best sporting experience is, does, does anything spring to mind? Oh, it would definitely not be anything I've done individually. It's because uh, that's pales in comparison to um, the the crazy, amazing experience I've had as a coach. So it would definitely be, um, you know, my the highlight of my athletic career would be me coaching, um, you know, uh, a couple of world champions in the sport of CrossFit, which is uh, I had a, a really great year in 2016 where I coached the male and the female champion in the same year, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, and I've also coached the team and a few of the, uh, older masters athletes to champions championships in, uh, the sport of CrossFit. So that would be the highlight. Um, but me personally, um, I just like to, I like to ski. So, uh, it's nothing like accomplishment wise other than that's like my passion. That's what I love to do. Okay. All right. All right. Nice. Um, in your, in your book, you've written a fantastic book, Chasing Excellence. And that, thank you. That, that, does largely focus on that 2016 and with Matt mm-hmm. and Catherine winning the games. Uh, there was, there was, uh, I've got a few questions around it really, but there was, there was a section in which I really liked about positivity and you try and encourage positivity in your, in your athletes. And, and there were a couple of great examples with, from Matt and, and Catherine. Can you, can you talk about 
that a little bit more you know why you think it's so important and 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 how you try and encourage it with with athletes yeah absolutely so it's um you know i'll start with uh i'll start with maybe like maybe what you weren't expecting but uh my my thought on positivity has evolved in the last uh six or seven years since i wrote that so i don't think that that is the most effective mindset to have but I will speak to why it's more effective than negativity. That's for sure. So whether you are a high rocks athlete, a CrossFit athlete, whether you are a um, ER surgeon learning to play classical violin, racing a car, it doesn't matter what the the thing that you are trying to do. If you approach it with a positive mindset versus a negative mindset, we know through science that you the likelihood of you performing better is drastically improved. So. It's, you know, if it's, I'm going to go in and crush this, I'm excited about this. I feel really confident about my abilities. Um, bring it on. I want the challenges. I want the adversity. You're much more likely than woe is me or anything else. So, you know, I've evolved my kind of um, understanding of mindset since then to be a little bit more of um, more than the binary negative and positive, um, which I think what most people operate under. Either you complain, you know, you're either. The glass is half empty or the glass is half full is the old parable would say, and you're one or the other. I think it's um, a little more multifaceted than that. I believe that there's um, three, essentially two lower levels. There's a, what we're, what we're kind of like, I would deem as neutral. And then there's two higher levels of mindset. The two lower levels of mindset are being a victim or being a pessimist. A victim says, you know, why is this happening to me? Uh, the world is always out to get me. Um, and they really just fail to take action. They, they blame everyone else for all of their circumstances. And it really is one of the, the most detrimental places that we could be as a human being. And if we can recognize that in ourselves, amazing, because we can now move up the ladder to where we are now a, a, a pessimist, which is actually better than the victim, because at least we're taking some action. This sucks, but you're going and doing the thing. Above the pessimist is the optimist. The optimist is not the highest level. To me, the optimist is like, all right, we're not hurting ourselves, but we're not really helping ourselves either. Because while you will outperform the pessimist, the the optimist has a lot of shortcomings. The positive mindset has a lot of, um, is missing a lot. And that is, don't worry, guys, it's going to be okay. Um, it's Tomorrow's going to be a brighter day. The, the future will be brighter than the past. And no matter what we do, this is going to work out. That's not always the case. And it's not about necessarily labeling things as good or bad as the pessimist or the optimist does. And it's certainly not just telling stories, which is what we want to do as human beings is tell stories about what's happening to us right now. And that's what the victim, the pessimist, and the optimist all do is storytell. And another word for storytelling is creating drama. What you're doing, if you're in any one of those mindsets, and we bounce around between them. You are not, it's not like you've hot, leveled up and now this is where you live. You are, it's not like uh, apartment buildings or what story you're on. It's more like a roller coaster and you will bounce through these five different phases of mindset, certainly in a day, if not in hours or minutes. It's, um, a, it's a lot more fleeting than we would like it to be. But what the optimist does is if, if they fail to brace, they fail to brace for hardship and true challenge. And when they are faced with those true, true adversities, they crumble because they were not prepared for them. That's why I ask my athletes now to try to instead be a realist. The realist understands that there is good or bad, that there is challenges, 
And that's, it's a part of being a human being is that it's certainly trying to achieve anything great. I like this saying that I came across from another, um, a high level athlete, which is we operate in, you know, in thirds, a third of the time, this should feel pretty good in terms of your training for something really impressive, whether it's the Olympics or world championship, maybe attempting your first high rocks, whatever it might be. A third of the time, it should feel pretty good. A third of the time, it's just, you're, it's okay. You know, it's nothing, nothing great. Um, but a third of the time, it's going to feel like crap. If you're trying to do anything meaningful, a third of the time, it's not going to be good. If it doesn't fall into those laws of three, you're probably either not pushing yourself um, or you're not at the um, the highest levels of where you could be, or you're just not understanding um, what it takes to get to that high, that highest level. So having that understanding and accepting the realities of which we're presented, which is, you know, there's hardship. If you're a living thing on planet earth, you know, the saying I use is like, even, you know, we think dolphins are like, have it, have it made right They're in the tropics and they're social and it's so fun, but dolphins get sunburned. Like that's a real, like they're in pain. They feel that even palm trees, which again, it's like symbol of like peace and serenity and tropics and leisure. Palm trees have to withstorm tropical. We have to withstand tropical storms. Like we all have this thing. Every living thing has adversity. Every it's not, it's not what was me. It's not oh these darn circumstances. Winter is coming. Like it's happening to all of us. So realists just accepts those things. They don't make a bigger deal of it. They don't dwell on it. They accept it and they push through. The higher level of that is what I call the warrior mindset, which is not only do they accept it, the warrior looks forward to those things. They look forward to being down by 20 points. They look forward to the, the text message from their boss that says, hey, can we talk on Monday morning? They look forward to the 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 burning the midnight oil, seeing all the stress of, are we going to be able to get this in before the deadline? Because they know that those challenges and those adversities are what make us better. Man, like if we could all be there and, you know, I've been coaching this for a long time and I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not a warrior all the time. I am in certain circumstances, but majority I'm not. I think that if we all tried to at least spend the more majority of our time as an optimist. And this is where the positivity comes back. As long as we're not going down into the victim and the negative, unless we're reframing things to where we're going to perform better, which is the positivity mindset. That's why that's kind of like the, okay, we're there. Then can we hang out in that realist thing of like, yeah, that guy cut me off in traffic. Like, I don't need to get all upset about that thing. You know, yes, I came in fourth place just off the podium, but like, that's not the worst. Like I can, I can, I'm, I'm not going to win every single event. I'm not gonna win every single time. Like that's a realistic approach. And then every now and then, can we just dabble in that understanding of what it means to live and operate with a warrior's mindset? We do that. And we are, we have leveled up significantly, not only in our athletic careers, but across the spectrum of what it means to be a human being walking and, and living this life of a human being. I guess the warrior is like, appreciating that there is there is good to be found in that adversity in those hard times there's like a stoic principle i think it's like a more fatty like love love what is and 
you know, whatever's happening, even like an injury, for example, with an athlete, like trying to find the good in the injury. And does that make give, give you the opportunity to to whatever train the skier because you can't run and, and stuff like that? Yeah, um, I guess that's the that's kind of the mindset that a warrior might have, is it? I think that's that's actually the optimist. The optimist looks for the silver lining. The optimist looks for like, oh, I like, OK, so I, uh, I, I sprained my ankle. Time to get better at skiing. Like, that's the optimist thing. The 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 realist goes, of course, I'm getting injured. Like, I don't need a story tell about this. I don't need to pretend like this is good or bad. You know, Shakespeare said there is no good or bad, but thinking makes it so. It's like there's just there's just things that happen. And we don't need to we don't need to try to figure out if this is a good or bad thing. Yeah. What the warrior says is like. I kind of like I, I look forward. I look forward to getting hurt. Because. I want to see what I'm made of. The warrior is once you've dominated the dojo, like think of like the samurai warrior back in like Japanese, you know, uh, military mythology. Once that samurai is the best in his comrade, what's the best in his group? What is the true warrior? He doesn't rest on that. He want, he knows the only way he can get better is by going to get somebody that can beat him. So he searches, he roams the earth looking for a worthy foe because he wants to get beat because he knows the growth happens when he is faced with things that he can't handle. That's the warrior. It's this approach of like, not only am I willing to find the silver lining, not only am I willing to accept that this is a thing that's going to happen, I'm seeking this thing out. I want it. I want you to be better than me. I want to go against people. This is what it we've misconstrued what it means to be a competitor. We think a competitor is this un, unyielding desire to win. It's not. The true competitor is this unyielding desire to improve. That's what and we use the the platform of competition to improve ourselves. This is what, what this is what competition serves as. This is the purpose of competition. Cuz if you went and did a high rocks competition by yourself with no one else around, I promise you, you will underperform relative to if you do it with people around your ability. Now, if you go against Hunter McIntyre, you're also probably not going to do as great because he's gone. That's not competition. If you do it against my grandmother, you're probably also not going to get that much better because that's not true competition. What we need is people that just stretch our abilities. This is the essence of learning. It's called the, the learning zone. There's the comfort zone. There is the stress zone, which is it's too much. You're overloaded. And then there's this sweet spot of the learning zone. That learning zone, another word for it is compete, bro. Like, go get it. Like, sign up, get in the arena, go do that thing, get beat, and you'll get better. Yeah, yeah. So true as well. You can't do like try and do a high rock simulation in the gym on your own. And ah, completely not right. It just no. doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. um, maybe as a, a, a natural follow on from that, there's a there's a quote in the book that's, uh, that sort of says, "Elite athletes know something that most people don't. Adversity is the best thing that can happen to you." Um, the competitors here at the games know that humans only improve through adversity by embracing short term pain. And this is a question I've I've spoke to. Uh, a lot of athletes on this podcast about like is there is there a time where a failure or adverse event or what appeared to be adverse event ultimately turned out to be a good thing positive for you in your life is yeah there, is there anything can you think of any examples with yourself or or any of your athletes where where that might be the case 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, if you go back, I think everyone can. It might take a little bit of digging, but they're everywhere. So, um, you know, the reason I'm a coach is because I was originally a. Um, I started my career off in finance, and in the states, one of the higher levels of um, financial certification you get is called the CFA, and I failed my CFA. I failed it, and I when I failed it, um, I cried. I thought, oh, man, this is terrible. The world is crashing down. Well, <laughs> like. No, that's amazing. I'm, I'm like, I'm glad I failed it. I would not be where I am right now if had I not done that. So that's, that's an, that's not a silver lining thing. That's an amazing thing. We are so bad at understanding of whether something is actually good or bad for us. And when we see adversity, we go, this is terrible. This is bad. You know, Katrin, um, who I won the games with a couple of times, um, she didn't make the games, uh, the year before we won it. She she had been to the games twice, was an average, if there's ever such a thing, she was an average CrossFit Games athlete. She finished, you know, in the mid-20s. There's 40 athletes in the world that qualify, and she finished in 22nd one year and 26th the other year. The next year, she failed to qualify because she was faced with huge adversity, this movement that really got her, which was legless rope climbs, and she didn't make it. That adversity of trying to overcome that is the reason she won the next two years consecutively. It's because of that adversity that we get better and we grow. I mean, they're all over the place. You know, the there's a parable I like to tell a lot, which people have probably heard and probably, but there's the, the wise old farmer who lives up on a hill and he has a singular son and a, uh, a singular in one horse. He has one son and one horse and together they kind of like tend to the farm. And one day the, the son leaves the, the gate to the stable open and their only horse runs away. Well, that's terrible. Like all the village people come running up to the wise old farm and they're like, oh my God, we're so sorry. This is such a terrible thing. You are now like, what are you going to do? This is so terrible. And his response was, well, we'll see. And then the very next day, the horse returned and he brought with it three new or three brand new wild horses. And the village people came up again and like, oh my gosh, you have four horses now. You're one of the wealthiest farmers in our village. This is so lucky. And his response was, we'll see. The next day, the son is trying to tame one of these wild horses and he gets bucked off and breaks his leg. Again, the village people come running up and they say, this is terrible. Your son broken his leg. How are you going to tend to your farm and your fields and take care of your animals? This is so terrible wise old farmer's response is we'll see the next week the village comes under attack a horrible horrible war and battle ensues where all of these young men are losing their lives and the army comes door to door to recruit and um, enlist every single capable young man into this horrible war where everyone's dying but they have to bypass the farmer's son because he has a broken leg the idea is it's like we like to label things so much as adversity or trouble or bad, which we just don't have enough hindsight. We don't have the perspective. Mm -hmm. We don't have the – we don't know. So Katrin goes – I wasn't working with her at the time when she didn't qualify for the games. But I – she had been to our gym a couple times. And I had worked with her a few times. But she was living in Iceland at the time. And we were friends. So I sent her a note. And the note was – you're not going to like to hear this, but this might be the best thing that's ever happened to you. 
And now we laugh about it because she goes, I hated you for that text. It's like, how could you possibly say it? This, my world is crumbling. Like my identity is shattered. Like this is terrible. Well, we laugh about it now because it was the best thing that ever happened to her. You know, because of that, she tripled down. She moved to Boston. We started working together. We shored up her weaknesses. We made her a mental monster and she won the games for the next two years and became, you know, one of the more well-known female athletes in the world because of it. So it's, uh, we're just really bad at, at figuring out. We like to think that we are, um, really good at assessing our situations, but we're just not. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other element there with like Catherine had the mind going back to the mindset. She had the mindset to not let that deter her, you know, the 20th finishing places like some people would be like okay i'm giving up not doing it right. not pushing on she had the mindset and the coach to, to do that and um, another question i wanted to ask was about taking risks is, is it another theme that's, that's come up a couple of times on this on this podcast i spoke to chris hinshaw and it, he, he mentioned it and then we had eve muirhead an olympic gold medalist who talked about you know that when she started taking risks at the olympics is when she got a gold medal she weren't afraid to lose anymore um is, is taking risks something that you, you've you tried to actively encourage with, with your athletes? Do you think that's an important thing? Yeah, you know, this it's a really good question. And um, I think it's, I think there's two sides to that coin. The one is you have to kind of play on the edge. You have to kind of, uh, you have to be able to take risks, but you have to, they have to be calculated. You have to know when to do it because, um, a flip side of a risk is, um, you know, there's a reason it's risk. It's high reward um, and high, um, you know, it could be catastrophic if it if it doesn't pay off. So you can't just go guns a-blazing, everything you got. That's a sign of a really immature athlete. The mature athlete knows when to take the calculated risks. So I like, um, you know, Lance Armstrong's old coach, Chris Carmichael. And he was like, it only takes it to win the Tour de France. Takes, um, takes three things. It it takes two really good time trials. You have to do. You have to win or come in second place in the time trials, and then it's one big attack in the mountains. That's it. In a, in a three week event, it really is like stay within yourself. Like when it's time to go, go, those time trials kill. And then it's one big attack. Besides that, it's not like every, and you see this in our sport all the time with these immature athletes that are like, I got to go. And they just go and they blow themselves up super early. So yes, it's about taking risks, but it's not about throwing caution to the wind and just, you know, um, being an immature or a, uh, a dumb athlete. Like that's not what it's about. And it's the same thing in my opinion, in terms of, um, business or anything else we're doing. There is the time and the place to take risks, but they're not everywhere and always. Okay. Okay. We're sort of seeing um, a sort of similar story, but we're, we're seeing it play out with Hunter McIntyre at the moment. I think anyway, he he set the world record in Hyrops in, in December in Stockholm. And he's, he's just started working with a new coach uh, now, which I find really interesting. It's kind of like it's not he's not settling this it, it must be a risk like he's doing so much right and now he's uh, handed all all his program over to a new coach and it's, it's a it's another interesting risk i think uh but it's also like a case of not settling um yeah 
Which... I think that I think there's a big difference between taking risks and not settling. Yeah. I think that those are almost at two ends of the spectrum. One is like complacency, just like I'm just going to accept what this is, and the other is, um, um, I'm going to change up everything. And I don't think either one of those are necessarily the right approach. Um, it, it's this, you know, bell-shaped curve where the living in the middle is probably going to yield the greatest uh, results, the 80-20 principle. But if I was to be on one side or the other, I would be on uh, pushing the envelope for sure. Because, you know, if you're Hunter McIntyre or Katrin or one, if you're trying to be a singular best, a the one in the world, set a world record, you don't get there by following the pack. You don't get there by doing whatever else is doing. You have to go out and blaze a trail and do it your way and do it different than everybody else and do it better than everybody else. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're recording this in January, towards the end of January, uh, a time of New Year's resolutions, or a lot of people maybe failed on theirs already. But uh, how, how do you think about that? Do you, have you set yourself any New Year's resolutions? And then also as a as a follow on from that, like how do you think about goal setting with mm-hmm. with your athletes? Do you, yeah. yeah. Uh I have a love hate with goals. Uh, it's I, I my goals can be. Oh, here's let me just kind of lay this out. I got this from um, a really good basketball mind named Brett Ledbetter. Um, I think that there's people focus on goals, but the goal is an outcome. Like I want to make the CrossFit Games. I want to make it to the World Championship of High Rocks. I want to lose 30 pounds. I want to be able to back squat 300. I want to run a sub four hour marathon. They're all outcome related. We ultimately don't have control over outcomes. We, we, it's Those are outside of our control. So what we're doing is we're focusing a lot of our effort and attention on something that we actually don't have a lot of control over. Now, can they be directional? Can they be motivational? Can they um, play a role? Yes. Are they the thing that we should be thinking about a lot? I don't think so. I just really don't. I think more important, we should be focusing on something we have control over which is the process. What is the process you are going to take to achieve that goal? So let's say it's a sub four hour marathon. Well, we know what that looks like. You need to run five days a week. One of those is a long one on the weekends where you're going to go from 10 up to 20 miles. You're going to do a little bit of cross training in between and you need to do that five days a week. That's the thing we should be focusing on. It's like, are you committed to this process? Not the goal, which actually can be very demotivating, particularly, you know, if the goal is a sub four hour marathon and you wake up ready for the Boston marathon, just run your sub four hour marathon. You're projecting it to be a 357, which if you're really good about from your training, but that morning you wake up and there's six inches of snow on the ground and a 30 mile an hour headwind. Like you wake up and then what are you thinking? You're like, Damn it. Like, oh, I'm not, it's demotivating because it might be outside your, it's again, it's outside of our control. What is inside your control? Well, not only is the process inside your control, the thing that's ultimately inside your control is the character that you can develop towards committing to a process. So on, it just brings it down to right now, this moment. So the Boston Marathon's in April. We're recording this in January. If my goal is a sub four hour marathon, I'm like, ah, you know what? 
I know I said I was going to get up and I was going to run eight miles before work today, but I stayed up a little bit later last night and it's raining out and it's kind of chilly. I think I can still hit that goal if I just take today off. But if you're focused not on the goal, but on the process, even more importantly, the character it takes to follow the process. So the focus should actually be on my fortitude, my commitment, my discipline, my willingness to follow through on a promise to myself. That's the thing that we actually ultimately want to work on. Not only because it's 100% in our control, am I going to get out of my warm bed and go and do that run, even though it's something I don't want to? That's called discipline, doing something you don't want to do. But it's also the thing that's ultimately transferable. So as opposed to this one singular thing of running a four-hour marathon, that character I'm developing can go towards any other thing in my life. And I think that that is the thing that we should be focused on more so than goals. If we want to throw the goal out there because it's directional, and I think that's important, you know, I need to know when I'm working with Katrin, do you want to win the CrossFit Games or not? Like if she says no, it's like, well, what are we doing here, right? Do you want to finish running the Boston Marathon or not? And someone's signing up for a running program for you to do a marathon. It's like, yes, we need to know that. But once I know that, put it on a shelf, and we actually don't even need to talk about it again. What should we talk about a lot more? The process. What should we be talking about all the time? Developing your character. That's the thing that actually moves the needle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so um, it's so relevant in higher ups and many other sports, really. But because you get a time in higher ups and you could compare it against everyone across the world, everyone gets very focused on on that that time, you know. And yep. uh, they have that goal of that time, but really, like like you said, like it's more about the process and the character and everything that you've brought to 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 trying to achieve that goal. That's that's more important. Um, in your book, actually, you mentioned like how how someone's character is the most important thing for them in becoming a successful athlete. Um, I want to ask, what kind of values or attributes do you look for in someone's character? Are there specific things? Yeah. Um, yep. It's uh, I, it's a alliteration that I've used. It's um, humble, hungry, and happy. Those to me are the three most important things. So humble is not meekness it's not shyness it's not that at all which i think is what we 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 associate with humility is coach ability are you humble enough to look for outside feedback or do you think that you've got it all figured out so if i'm going to work with an athlete the number one thing i'm looking for is humility because if you can't crack through the shell if someone has a fixed mindset and you're trying to help them develop and grow and give them feedback and they're not willing to accept or eager, excited, which is what humility is, we're not going to get very far. The next one is hunger, which is drive, which is work ethic, which is commitment, which is dedication, which is the pursuit of excellence. Um, people either have that or they don't. So we need a high level of hunger. And the third one I, I call happy, but it's essentially um, do you not complain do you not whine? Do you not make excuses? Are you here um, because you believe that uh, you know the future is going to be great in the past, and you enjoy this process, or is it? Are you doing this like begrudgingly, and um, is this is a chore, and you this kind of sucks? Well, 
that's not very fun to be around and it's not a it's not gonna be a, a long-term game for you if you're going that way mm-hmm. coachability is something i was going to ask you about actually again it's come up a couple of times on here um one example is, is I spoke to Jane Urbacher, who coached James Newbury and Tia Claire Toomey on on the Ergs, and she said like one thing that she noticed about them was like they were the most coachable people she's ever come across. Mm-hmm. Like they they just took it all on board. Um, what 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 does what does coachable mean for you? Are you are you looking for an athlete that just like literally does whatever you says? Are you looking for someone like to question you and, and challenge you? What what do you like to see from an athlete? Yeah, um, coachable doesn't mean just accept everything that comes at you at all. That's that's not what that is. Um, what it means is that you want to grow, you want to learn, you want to evolve, you want to be better, and you believe that um, outside sources are a good place for you to get feedback that's what that that's what that means is i want you to tell me what you're seeing so that i can put it through my internal filter system and see if it's something that i could put to use it doesn't necessarily mean like tell me what to do i'll do exactly what you say no matter what that is coachable but it it doesn't mean if you challenge something along the way that you're not coachable i actually like the like katrin's um was the best athlete that I've, I've worked with in terms of this because she wanted to know the why behind everything, mm-hmm. which is great, which also made her so coachable because once she understood it, she went like a gazillion miles an hour towards that thing. But if she didn't understand it, she wasn't willing to put in um, top level effort because she didn't understand it. It makes total sense. Like, why would we do that? So it's not a, it's not a matter of not challenging. Um, it's a matter of, again, it goes to humility. Are, do you th- already think you have it all figured out? Challenging is for two different reasons. I want to understand versus, no, that's not good. I already know the better way. Like, tell me tell me more. Like, a thing that goes very, very close with coachability is curiosity. Mm-hmm. Curiosity is such a powerful trait. Like, I, I don't think I have all the answers. I want to know more. Tell me more about that. Ooh, let me dig into that a little bit. That sounds really interesting. Have you seen this over here? Wow. I didn't understand that that was also going on. This is a really, this might be a really powerful thing for me. That level of curiosity is really important. I see it not just in athletes. I think it's one of the most important traits in terms of being a good coach as well. When I work with other coaches that are trying to develop themselves as coaches, the ones that are the most curious learn the fastest. Great. Um, uh, another thing I talk with a lot of athletes on here about is where their mind goes when when a workout gets very tough. Like CrossFit workouts are, are very tough. High rocks is, is really tough. Do you, do you uh, advise athletes on that side of things? Is that is that a very personal thing? Uh, do you work with them on that? Do you prepare them for those tough moments? Um, yeah, can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yep, it's a big part of what we work on. Uh so this is, I think it's, it gets misconstrued a lot in terms of what mental toughness is. Most people think that confuse mental toughness with the athlete that's um, going through a lot of pain. They, you know, in hockey, they talk like a guy gets his teeth knocked out and he doesn't miss a shift. Like, um, you know, a football player 
uh, rolls his ankle and comes back in uh, on next play. Um, CrossFit athletes get a lot of um, uh, a lot of praise for this, as do High Rocks athletes for pushing through this pain threshold. So there's two parts to that. The first one is the understanding that the workouts that we do, the competitions that we do, and when I say we, I'm going to bundle CrossFit and High Rocks together, but the, these workouts, these competitions are not painful. They are uncomfortable. Pain is stepping on a nail. Pain is breaking your leg. Pain is when your dog dies. That's pain. We're just uncomfortable. We're just uncomfortable. And human beings can withstand incredibly high levels of being uncomfortable for very long periods of time. We know this. We know how uncomfortable human beings can be and for how long that can go. And you think about, you know, they just remade the movie of the uh, the Argentinian rugby team that crashes in the Andes and is in, you know, basically subs, you know, freezing temperatures. They end up having to eat their own teammates and hike out over these, the, some of the highest mountains in the world. Like, it's like, they're so uncomfortable for so long. Like, dude, this is a workout. It's a, it is nothing like that. Like nothing. Keep going. Like go, go hard. Like, yep. Like try to, it's nothing like that. And we've had athletes that have thrown up and passed out from training. It's still nothing like that. So let's not call this pain. It's not. You're uncomfortable. So that's the first one is just that reframing of what this thing is. The next one is, you know, that when their mind goes somewhere else, that what that something else is, is being, it's loss of focus. You're being distracted. This is what mental toughness is, is the ability to withstand, withstand distraction. And the biggest distraction we all have, first off, distractions come in many forms. Um, you know, whether it's um, a siren going off, all of a sudden we're distracted. All of a, sudden, a competitor passing you, we get distracted. You look at the clock and it's not what you expect it to be. We get distracted. You're doing your last set of wall balls and you feel like you need to break at 15 when you're expecting to get to 30. Your mind goes somewhere and you get distracted. This is, this is the thing we need to work on. It doesn't just happen on game day. We need to work on this all the time. All Every single time that we are training, we're going to work on staying more and more focused, which is just a matter of staying, telling yourself the story that you have control over. Because once you, all distracted is, is focusing on something that you no longer have control over. All those things I just said, the competitor passes you, it's, that's him. You have no control. You look at the clock and it's not the time you expected. You're behind. Like that's the past. You're not there anymore. Like your legs are burning more than you expected. Like that's an expectation. You have no control. Like you got to learn to let those things go and focus on things that you can control. That's the whole deal. And there's a whole science to this in terms of triggers lead to subconscious thought built into us based off of our default operating system, which creates an emotional response, which creates a physiological 
um, reaction in the body, which closes up arteries, pumps harder, causes a stress response, and makes you perform worse. Once you understand that chain of events, of, 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 uh, events which leads to a sewer cycle, I got that term from um, the a mind coach from West Point. Um, once you understand that sewer cycle, you can you can rewrite it. You can actually switch it to a success cycle. But it takes a sub it, it takes you from moving from your subconscious thought patterns to conscious ones, and you have to have the tools available to know that. So when you feel your body do that thing, that's the awareness that you've been distracted. And then all of a sudden you have to rewrite that, that sequence to something else. And once you do it and you focus on something you can control, then we, we have mental toughness. Then we don't have those thoughts doing that thing, that dance that we no longer have control over. Really hard. Like that's really, really hard. And that's why there's only a few athletes that have done it incredibly well right? Like there's a few athletes that, you know, Matt Fraser and um, Michael Jordan and Michael Phelps and Serena Williams. There's a few athletes that can do this incredibly well. It's why they become who they are. Most of us need to continue to work on this. And it's like, it's like anything else. It's the 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. Now, most of us think deliberate practice is working on my forehand or um, working on my ski or working with lactic threshold training or whatever it might be. And we think it's physiological, learning to play classical piano or whatever it might learning to type better. We have to realize is that if we want to be masters of our mind, it's available to us, but not without the 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. This is why when we train, it's not just about building bigger muscles and bigger lungs. It's about building better minds. We need to focus on this and not just uh, think it's going to happen on game day. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, so I guess that that practice is practice what the mind does at that point when you when you think you're struggling, when you think your legs are burning or whatever, you're practicing your response to that feeling. Yeah, that's a great that word right there is the really is the is the key word. Yep, it takes a little bit of an understanding of a few key concepts of uh, just like anything. If you understand a little bit of physiology, you can improve your training a lot, right? It improves your training a lot because you have a little bit of understanding about physiology. You can change your physiology a lot. If you have a little bit of understanding of the mind, you can change your mind a lot. Mm -hmm. One is this kind of like sequence of events that goes trigger, thought, subconscious or conscious, leads to an emotion which leads to a physiological state. When I say physiological state, I mean switching from your parasympathetic nervous system to your sympathetic or um, creating a state of anxiety or stress or a place of peak performance and flow. So you have this little bit of understanding of that and we can – and you have a little bit of understanding of the word you just used of the difference between responding to a circumstance and reacting. We as human beings are the only ones that have – the ability to think thoughts about our thoughts. Like every other animal is just, it's default react. And that doesn't serve them in all situations. A deer hears a loud boom and all of a sudden just startle flinches, sometimes right into oncoming traffic. We have a choice if we hear that, okay, we have that, but then we go, wait a minute, that wasn't a gunshot. That was just 
somebody's chair falling over. I don't need to continue to run into oncoming traffic. I can think thoughts about my thoughts. So when you understand this, you have the ability not only to react, which is a default, you have the ability to respond, which is conscious. This is the thing that we train. Stop reacting and start responding. Reacting is immature. It is impulsive. It's something you're going to regret later on, and it's unproductive. Responding is just the opposite of all those things. Responding is what, not immature, it's what professionals do. It's not something you're going to regret, something you're going to have pride over. It's not unproductive. It really moves the needle forward. So when a judge calls no rep on you, your immediate reaction is this. You want to fight or flight. You want to either go, what the hell are you talking about? Or you go, see, I can't win. Well, with enough hindsight, you're going to look back on it and go, what the hell was I doing? Like, no, respond to that situation. Move forward in a productive way. And this is the things we do with our training is try to get athletes to switch from reactive to responsive. Okay. Love it. Love it. Um, this is a high rocks podcast. Uh, I know you come from the CrossFit world primarily, but uh, I'm interested to know what your, what's your perception of high rocks? Have you, have you looked at it? I, I don't think you participated in one yet. Have you? I have not. No, but I, uh, I've not participated. Um, I have not been to one yet. Um, but I know uh, quite a bit about it. Um, I've met with uh, the High Rocks guys a few okay. times. Um, and I'm a big, big fan of it. I think it's, I, to be honest, it's like the sport I wish that I come up with. Because I think it's just like such an awesome, accessible version of uh, what we do here um, in terms of CrossFit. Yes, it doesn't have the super high levels of strength or technicality, which I actually like in a lot of ways. Um and it's this um, really systemized version where it's always the same. There's a lot. I think there's a lot, a lot to like about High Rocks. Can you, can you see it continuing to grow? Do you think it's something that's going to continue on the trajectory it's on? Yeah, I know. I know it had a really huge breakout year um, in the last year or so. So I don't know truly what the, the, the growth trajectory it's on. But I also know it's uh, a lot more popular in um, Europe, particularly Northern Europe, I believe than it is in the United States. So I think that when it does make its inroads over here, I, I feel like they were planning on a lot of that. Then COVID happened. I know that we were planning on hosting one, being a part of hosting one in Boston right before COVID hit. Yeah. Um, was, I think the Boston was supposed to be in April and our world closed down in March. So it was like, you know, we were going to show up there in a big way. Um, I was excited about that. That's kind of like that. I think that stopped the momentum in the United States quite a bit. Um, but I think it's building back up. I think there's a big Vegas event or something. Um, I do think that there's a big opportunity for it uh, in a big way. Yeah. yeah. Is there any CrossFit athletes you think would do particularly well at it? Well, I know um, Ricky Garrard jumped in and yeah. um, uh, has done it. I think that he's, um, I think anyone that has like the big engines, you know, like that, obviously for obvious reasons, um, would do really well. I think that someone like Brent Fikowski would do phenomenal. He's a great runner. And um, it seems like, and I don't know this enough, but um, taller athletes, it would really benefit a lot with all of the machine work that is done. Obviously running is not necessarily pro or minus with the uh, tall athletes, but the wall balls and the burpees. Also, you get more distance um, with uh, being a higher, a taller athlete. So I think someone like him would do phenomenal, huge engine, um, 
strong, you know, strong um, and a taller athlete would do really well. So I think he, he'd be really interesting to see in the sport. Yeah. Um, we've had Brent on here actually. And oh, very cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, Has he done one? No, he's not. He's not. I, yeah. Hopefully he should do it. him to try and give it, give it a go. Yeah. yeah. Funnily enough, um, I spoke to his old coach who's was a uh, big bad Bobby D. I don't know if you, if you know him, but uh, I don't. Yeah. Uh, he's a uh, great name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, I need he, a better name. Man. <laughs> he said a similar thing though about Brent. He's like, cause he's so tall. He's got the engine. Yeah. Uh, he could do very well at it. Um, he's going to do half as many burpee broad jumps as I am. So <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a big advantage. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, who are your sporting inspirations? Does anyone spring to mind if I ask that? Yeah, I mean, from a um, a work ethic standpoint, I think Kobe Bryant is uh, absolutely phenomenal. From a mental perspective, I think Michael Phelps is terrific. I've talked about him. I think Michael Jordan is um, kind of nailed the thing. He's just, he he has that thing where there's no judgment. It's just like go out and puts him in a flow state so well. Um, you know, ultimate ultimate competitor for sure. I've had a, a couple coaching um, influences in a big way. Coach Wooden um, from um, college basketball in the States, um, won 11 championships. Uh, and he's very much a character first type person. Um, never whine, never complain, never make excuses is his tagline. I have that on my wrist every single day. Um, Nick Saban is the guy that I, I took the process from. Um, he's Alabama football. Uh, he's won a national championship with two different schools and won more national championships in college football than anybody else. Um, so those are the, the the big ones. Tom Brady, I think, is uh, phenomenal in terms of his uh, dedication to the craft um, from a holistic standpoint, both from health, nutrition, mindset, study, um, not a gifted athlete that has became the best of all time. So um, those are the guys that I kind of really look up to and um, beg, borrow, and steal as much as I possibly can from. Okay. All right. Great. Uh, and then one, one last question, then uh, we can, we can talk about what you're doing with comp training and everything. But uh, if you could put the word message, a message to the world out on a billboard for all the world to see, what would it say? Yeah, I would steal the, I think it's a, uh, a quote from Walt Whitman, which is be curious, not judgmental. I think that be, judge being judgmental is the thing that um, um, slows us down the most. And when I say, say slow down, I mean, kind of like everything in our pursuit of anything. We're so quick to, I talked a lot about it already, but so quick to, you know, this is bad. This is good. So quick to like um, predict like whether our, uh, our future is going to work out, you know, even like the way we judge other people. And we just have like, we judge ourselves all the time. And if we just had a little bit more levels of curiosity, I think that we'd all, um, feel a lot more um, joy and fulfillment in our lives. And I think that humanity as a, a, a group would move forward in a really productive um, way. It's not about the other side of the political spectrum. It's like, let's look inside, like, let's look at us. Let's one, I wonder why they think that way mm -hmm. instead of, you know, just laying blame everywhere. So I really like that. It's been a thing that I've leaned into a lot or tried to, lean into and remind myself a lot of because I like everybody else. I'm so quick to judge everything. Um, you know, you finish a workout and the first thing you do is like, was that a good workout? It's like, well, you're not, you're, you, you know, for peak performance, um, it requires it. Peak performance is synonymous with a flow state. 
what is the defining characteristic of a flow state? Open-mindedness and non-judgment. Like that's what it, that's the flow state. You're not judging. You're not judging whether the shot is going to go in. That's the best thing Michael Jordan's ever done. You're not judging if it's good or bad. If that person just passed you, you're not like, stop the judging. Just bring levels of curiosity to everything you're doing. Brilliant. Love it. Well, thank you for this. Can you tell us a bit about what you're doing now with Comp Train um, and, and and anything else you're doing? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Comp Train is a big thing I'm focused on right now. Um, in the past, Comp Train was me working with Katrin and um, some of the other great athletes. It was, I really committed my life to um, pouring as much as I could into, into, into four athletes at a time. I worked with two guys and two girls. And that was, you know, for the better part of 10 years of my life, I coached at the CrossFit Games for 15 years. And 10 of those was at a pretty high professional level. I'm working with four athletes. What I'm doing with CompTrain now is taking the lessons I've learned, shared a few of them on here, um, with working with those high-level athletes and bringing them to a, a bigger, wider community and audience. And it's not for everybody, but it's for the people that, you know, our 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 community is kind of the people that work out five or six days a week. If you are already the person that works out five or six days a week, this is this is your place. Like it's not about accountability. It's not about getting motivated to go to the gym. It's not using those trackers or gamifying workouts to try to get you there. This is about getting you more ready to overcome, to accept and overcome the challenges of life and sport. That's what this is. And we've continued to carve out a niche in the CrossFit space. I've passed that along to Cole Sager, who's a 10 times CrossFit Games athlete. He is now the head coach of the sport of CrossFit side. And I am now um, not working with the CrossFit side of the athletes. I'm working with athletes from all over that want to become unrattleable like I, I like overcome any challenge mentally physically whatever it might be I can't be shaken I'm physically and mentally prepared to do and handle this thing and that's what I'm, I'm really excited about um with um this new thing this is my first full year doing it like this um so excited about uh the opportunity to get a bunch of like-minded people together to go and chase this thing together awesome so where should they go to find out more about that? Comptrain.com. Super okay. simple. All right. Perfect. And as All we right. talked about, Comptrain is competitors training. As we talked about competitors, it's not about trying to be on the podium. It's not. A, it's about using the platform of competition to become the best version of yourself. Okay. Awesome. And there's and you've got a book that Chasing Excellence is, is still available on Amazon, um, which is fantastic. I, I love reading that. Uh, anything Thank else you. to shout out? Where where should uh, you on Instagram? Yes, on Instagram, Ben Bergeron. Uh, pretty simple. Um, um, yeah, that's it. That's about okay. it. All right, perfect. This is this has been brilliant. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Greg. Yes. Boom! What an episode. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. 
thank you for listening i do appreciate it if you aren't subscribed to our podcast then please make sure you do so now so you don't miss any future episodes we've got a ton of great guests lined up and also if you have been enjoying the podcast lately then please do leave us a review on itunes or spotify it does help us a lot um thank you for listening i will talk to you again soon